This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Diastaticus in your brewery. Hunting for diastaticus. Do we want to actually put this deliberately out in the market? Diastaticus seems like quite an oddball. NDST one gene. The recent lawsuit that uh, Left Hand Brewery has brought against White Labs, everyone is thinking about diastaticus coming from their yeast providers. So brewers should be really aware of any strain that's claiming to have kind of a high level of attenuation. It's likely that it has that gene present. In the ST1 gene. There really is no threshold um, that's acceptable for this strain. It will, it'll do you wrong, that's for sure. And that that's one thing I, I think that people are seeing issues with is they'll have this really low level detection in their beers and then it won't be until, you know, three, maybe four months that they start seeing this overcarbonation happening. Welcome to part two of Diastaticus. The conversation continues with a wide variety of perspective from brewers, yeast suppliers, and independent microbiologists. We dive deeper into detection and hear how yeast suppliers work to prevent contamination. You'll recognize voices from last week and hear some new ones too, all right here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's most interesting to me is that a lot of these craft brewers, they want to be able to use a wide range of yeast. So they're not, they don't really have a house yeast. They want to be able to brew, you know, with a extra special bitter yeast and with a American yeast and then with some kind of saison. And it makes all their beers a lot more authentic, um, a lot more uh, kind of artisanal. And they don't um, all taste the same. But the problem they run into, <laughs> yeah, and they don't all, they don't all taste the same. But there, in a lot of ways, you're playing with fire because if you have a house yeast strain and your cleaning protocols aren't awesome, your beer is just getting infected with your house yeast and there's no problem. But now if you're using French Saison or one of these other yeasts that has that gene present and you have any crossover, now you've destroyed every other beer you have in your house. Um, and so people have to be a lot more stringent with their cleaning practices now as they begin to kind of but essentially play with fire by using these other yeasts. I'm Matt Linsky. I'm the manager and lead microbiologist with Brewing and Distilling Analytical Services. The, you know, obviously with the uh, the recent lawsuit that uh, Left Hand Brewery has brought against White Labs, everyone is thinking about diastatic as coming from their yeast providers, and and that's a major issue. Um, I mean, I I can't really speak to anything on on my end um, as far as whether whether I'm able to prove anything like that or not, um, but. I, I do think it's important for people to monitor their yeast as it's coming through the doors and um, some things like uh, copper sulfate broth enrichment or uh, starch broth uh, because what, one of the, you know, obviously diastaticus can break down those starches um, and that's a good way to make sure you have uh, an environment where only the diastaticus could survive potentially and the normal Saccharomyces yeast wouldn't. And so that'd be, that'd be I think, a 
a good way also, like you'd mentioned before, with that kind of practical approach with a finished filtered beer, um, using something that is, is specifically has, has starches in it as the sole carbon source. Um, that I think that would be a good practice for brewers to entail for detection of their yeast as it comes through the the door but i do see also that there is a, a seasonal aspect to it too i i it, diastaticus does exist in the environment it's not like it's only coming from the from these yeast providers if it, you know if they are able to prove that that's what's happening um and so it, it, we have seen a little bit more of a drop-off now that we're getting into the winter months because i you know obviously those yeast aren't hanging around in the atmosphere as much and, and people's production slows down too at this time of year um but uh yeah i think as far as <clears throat> as far as detection goes um really the proof is in the pudding and i think you kind of have to buckle down and get the pcr work done if you want to find out if that's what it really is um there's been some confusion about the actual uh assay and what's identified i think so um one thing to kind of clarify the the diastaticus as is is a as an organism isn't just like a single strain much like saccharomyces cerevisiae has english ales belgian ales there's there's many different sources many different strains even of yeast that are diastaticus quote unquote um and the assay that that we're running is looking for glucoamylase genes so these are genes that are uh, breaking down those sugars and the important part is that a lot of saccharomyces yeast have non-functional versions of of that gene uh but they don't have the mechanism that excretes that gene out into the you know extracellular matrix which is the beer right and um the fact that diastaticus does have that is what is causing those sugars to get broken down so the yeast itself can take them up and other culture yeast can take up those sugars too it's like it's kind of an interesting mechanism that the that diastaticus you know seems to be trying trying to, to break these sugars down regardless of whether it gets to consume them or not how about the argument of you know whether or not diastaticus is sometimes coming in you know from cultured yeast from the from a lab versus being picked up you know in the brewery environment and i'll, I'll i'd love to hear your thoughts on that and then i'll tell you a little story that i have about it yeah i mean i know for a fact that some people are getting it from their supplier mixed in. I mean, we've done some testing for other people and uh, I'm 100% convinced uh, it's coming in, uh, in in some cases from the supplier. The issue is there's no tool powerful enough to detect it at the limit um, it needs to be detected at. And so if you've got, you know, let's, let's say I send you a gallon worth of yeast and there are 10 cells in there that are diastaticus. I have no method powerful enough to detect those 10 cells. But it's still going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, but it's still going to be a problem. And where we see it happen is it comes from the supplier and the first you know, two or three batches, totally fine. And once they've repitched it enough that that diastaticus is built up in cell count, that's when it starts destroying people's beer. That's pretty interesting. So um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my experience real quick, just you might find this interesting or have some comments about it. So this was about six or seven years ago. I was at a, a, a fairly reasonable size regional brewery, and we had a you know standard Bavarian Hefeweizen uh, that we made all the time and had been making for years. The yeast was supposedly a proprietary strain that uh, only a handful of breweries had access to. We'd used it for quite some time without any issues. 
we had this one uh, couple of fermentations where it was a normal, say, 12-degree Play-Doh beer. Uh, fermentation would start off normally, and it would ferment like crazy down to, say, like 10. And then it would just stall out completely. And then a week or so later, uh, you'd notice that it started uh, attenuating very slowly, but it would super attenuate all the way down to almost nothing and uh, over the course of several weeks. And it was a very difficult problem to troubleshoot in the brewery. Looking back on it, what we think happened is, um, well, we know a few things for sure. One, one we'd gotten lazy uh, in the brew house and we'd stopped doing iodine tests for conversion because, hey, when's the last time you had one of those fail, right? And so what happened was we had a, a malt supplier that sent us a load of, of wheat that we used in this, you know, obviously this wheat beer had a, had a lot of wheat in it. The, the load of wheat that they sent us had an alpha amylase value of 10, uh, which is very, very low. And so given our normal conversion time, we didn't get adequate conversion in the brew house, but we didn't know it because we'd stopped doing the iodine test. So that explains why the beer fermented rapidly and then stopped. And then we, after our in-house QC uh, did his investigative work, he really got to the point where he felt, hey, this, there's some diastaticus in this, uh, in this culture, and that's why we're getting the, the super attenuation. And I called up one of the um, other regional breweries that I knew of who was using the strain at the time, and I, I had a friend there, and I said, hey, have you guys had any problems? And he said, yeah, actually, we just switched um, suppliers on that yeast because we had a massive recall with exploding bottles. All signs there pointed to diastaticus coming in the, in the cultured yeast. Yeah, I guess I, I'm not surprised. I think I probably... <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to say anything bad about anybody else in the industry. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. It's, that's not the point of it, but you know, it, it happens. Well, why don't you talk for a minute just about um, the challenge? You know, from the perspective of a yeast supplier, obviously, you know, you have a, a all yeast suppliers have their hands full with the, a very great challenge of pre- of preventing that type of contamination as they're. You know, you talk about playing with fire, you know, you guys are processing, you know, a lot more different yeast strains and playing with a lot more fire than we are in the brewery. So what are some of your internal uh, procedures in terms of QA, QC to, you know, in production and packaging of your yeast to really um, avoid cross-contamination issues like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So kind of the first thing is we've basically got our um, lab split into two sections. And so anything that, um, is pr- produces some kind of a phenol or any kind of like obnoxious off flavor, um, and bretomyces, that's kind of all isolated to one half of our facility. And the other half is where anything clean is produced. Um, so we try and separate all of our equipment. Um, so there's no, no crossover. Um, and then we do just a, a bunch of plating. So we place stuff on wart auger, um, just basically to see in a culture what all is going to grow in beer. Um, HLP for lactobacillus and peocacus, LCSM for wild yeast. It also usually grows diastaticus pretty well on LCSM. And then Lynn's wild yeast media. Um, and that kind of gives us a really good idea of what all uh, is, is present in that culture. Um, and then at the end of the process, we also do testing for Britannomyces and diastaticus via PCR. 
But the, the issue is the power of those tests, once again, are, are not powerful enough to detect a super low level contamination that might end up hurting a brewery that's repitching their yeast a handful of times. Sylvie, you mentioned that you're open to discuss the internal procedures in terms of QA and QC of production and packaging for yeast at Lalamon to avoid cross-contamination. Yeah, and I would leave that to the QC manager again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Um, I mean, one thing is detect uh, diastaticus in a beer, which is relatively easy. Um, but uh, to detect a small concentration diastaticus in a huge population of uh, other yeasts is uh, much more difficult. And that's where we are yeah, still developing uh, methods, but uh, I believe we have found a couple of uh, good tools. So uh, what we start with is uh, just um, separation in production that makes it uh, bit safer the whole thing so we are not producing the uh, bel saison so the diastaticus yeast at the same time or uh, as we produce any other yeast and we will have uh, separate locations as well so uh, there should be no cross contaminations the other thing is uh, in terms of detecting um, I mean, we're looking for the sda1 gene but uh, as i said this is uh, limited um, we're looking into this uh, qpcr that i mentioned um, but uh, the problem with these um, methods is that um, you're only looking at a very small quantity yeah? so you're preparing your mm-hmm. um, dna extraction and then you just take a couple of uh, microliters uh, uh, to test and uh, you must be lucky if you want to detect really a, a small concentration of this uh, diastaticus. So uh, one thing we do is kind of an uh, over attenuation test. So we have two approaches. We, we just do a regular fermentation in um, either soluble starch or in a completely attenuated beer. Um, commercial beer could be, yeah, I don't know if I can name one Budweiser, for instance. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we're just inoculating a, a high uh, quantity of yeast and then um, using a shake flask and um, measuring uh, pressure production over time. So this can be either done with an ANCOM system. So um, you can do there uh, one liter shake flask and the system measures actually uh, gas pressure produced over time. It's connected with a computer and you get a nice curve so you can check if there's any gas production there. Or the the simpler test uh, probably for breweries is uh, the classical Durham test. So we have a reagent tube and then a uh, another smaller tube upside down in the thing and uh, again you fill it with soluble starch or um, yeah, your uh, overattenated beer and incubate that at warm temperature and see if you can uh, see any gas production within that tube that is uh, upside down so that's uh, another quick way to test so so it's a mix of Q, QA and QC there's a lot mm-hmm. of precautions being taken when we produce not to have contamination, and then there's a lot of uh, verification and tests that we do after production to to make sure that it was absolutely clean. It's so clean. Yeah. Uh, it's a combination of both. Yeah, and uh, just want to add one thing. Uh, there's also selective media, and this is also published in uh, well, a lot of these uh, chat rooms and <laughs> papers. Um, people say that the LCSM, so Linz cupric sulfate media, or any cupric sulfate media would work. Um, the problem is that some of the beer strains that can grow on that as well. 
and um, that's why for, for certain strains it's possible for other strains uh, you might get uh, false positive results there coming up a deeper dive into detection and one more voice to add to the conversation I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Well, I'd like to put in a big old plug for uh, a workshop coming up at the Brewing Summit in August in San Diego, which is a a joint uh, ASBC and MBAA workshop. Uh, So we're running two of these joint workshops, and one of them is all about diastaticus in your brewery. So we're going to get some some. Some of the brightest minds in the business to dissect this topic and talk about what you can do and how you could be more proactive in approaching it. So that should be a pretty good topic, I think. Very good. And that'll be at the Brewing Summit in San Diego. And what's do you know, know the date on that off the top of your head? That's August 12 through 14. All right. Excellent. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Don't miss the Draft Line Cleaning Best Practices webinar January 16th. District St. Louis meets January 18th at Anheuser-Busch InBev. District New England meets in New Hampshire January 19th and 20th. The 2018 District Ontario Technical Conference is January 24th through the 26th in Niagara Falls. The District St. Paul Minneapolis Scholarship Fundraiser is January 24th at Indeed Brewing. District Northern California holds its technical conference February 2nd at Sierra Nevada and Chico. The District St. Paul, Minneapolis February Meeting and Scholarship Drive is February 8th at Surly Brewing. District St. Louis meets at O'Fallon Brewery on February 18th. The Fundamentals of Cut and Stack Labeling webinar is February 19th. District Mid-South meets at Mill Creek in Nashville March 2nd and 3rd. Districts Michigan and St. Louis both meet March 15th. And check out the speaker lineup for the 2018 Eastern Technical Conference, March 23rd and 24th in Atlantic City. View the full count of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. you seen an increase in requests to determine the presence of diastaticus? Definitely. Yeah, we uh, about a year ago, we started a, a looking into buying a thermocycler um, to try to start doing some DNA analysis, uh, including detection of diastaticus, but we're also hoping that we can use this equipment to uh, differentiate yeast strains, even just the commercially available ones. Um, And at the time, uh, diastaticus was kind of getting tossed around as like a buzzword, it seemed like. And so we we definitely were happy that we were able to, you know, kind of jump on on the train and and be able to do some testing for people. But yeah, definitely, even over the summer, um, as more and more people start to realize that we're offering that testing we've been getting a lot of questions about it and it seems like anytime yeast contamination comes up uh in conversation diastatic gets mentioned um yeah it's quite the hot hot topic these days from a detection standpoint i mean i, I guess one of the reasons is that it's it's pretty hard to detect diastatic visually right yeah so uh diastaticus has a, a more or less uh the same colony morphology, same cell morphology as a normal Saccharomyces yeast. And, and even some of the, the Saccharomyces yeast out there that people are, are using, I think Belsaison is a notable example, are considered diastaticus positive. Um, 
And so, yeah, trying to trying to do things uh, visually with with some of the media that are out there is is difficult. Um, the so I, I guess I'll talk a little bit. Uh, I'm I am still doing total plate counts, and I think that's probably something that a lot of other people out there are are doing. Um, and you you can get some differentiation with the media that are out there today. Um, one one that I know that diastatics will grow on, but this is a good example of where it would be difficult to, to differentiate it is uh, NBB. Uh, it's really good German design media uh, made specifically for beer spoilage organisms, and it's got a, a phenol red, which is a pH indicator, so you can differentiate um, if acid is produced or not. And typically, if I see a if I see a culture that's very high in proportion of diastatics, you will get a slight color change on that media. Not quite as hard as you would see. Um, it goes like all the way to yellow if like a lactic acid bacteria is present, for example. Um, but you do see some slight color change from the kind of normal, uh, almost cardinal red that it, that it appears. Um, the, the two other media that I think are worth noting, I, I think a lot of people are aware that um, Lynn's cupric sulfate media uh, is good to use for diastaticus. Um, but also, it doesn't seem to be as much of a conversation, but um, there's a lot of literature, literature that I've seen that shows crystal violet media can be used to differentiate for diastaticus. Um, and that's a pretty simple media to make yourself. I mean, a lot of people have crystal violet on hand in their lab already because they use it for gram stains, and it's a 1% solution. All you need to do is add a little bit of that 1% solution to something like yeast peptone dextrose agar, for example. Um, and all, all you need is about... Two to three ppm. Some of the I, I was doing some research over the last couple of days to see if I could find um, an old recipe, and and it seems like uh, in the past people were using up to twenty ppm. Now, I've, from what I've seen, even three ppm seems to knock out some of the diastaticus that is out there, uh, where I'll see growth on cupric sulfate media and not growth on crystal violet media, um, and then. The way I'm verifying that it's diastaticus is actually by going ahead and, and running the, um, the test that we have in-house on PCR to ID diastaticus that way. Uh, I don't know if you noticed on Ask the Brewmasters, David Henderson, uh, who posted there, he had an interesting practical approach for the brewer that doesn't have uh, PCR access to, to other detection methods. And he said their, sim- their principal detection tool uh, was to basically dose a, a suspected infection into a sample of beer that's already been filtered and see if they could get a fast fermentation on those remaining limit dextrins. I thought that was a kind of an interesting, uh, quick and dirty, practical approach. Yeah, I think I, I like that idea. You know, if you've got something that shouldn't have any other yeast present and is finished fermenting, that's yeah, that's obviously the big problem with uh, diastaticus super attenuation. So that does seem like that would that would be uh, a good go to method. Um, but I guess the the my thought is too is uh, depending on the actual relative level of diastaticus there, you might not get results very quickly. Um, and that that's. One thing I, I think that people are seeing issues with is they'll have this really low-level detection in their beers, and then it won't be until you know three, maybe four months that they start seeing this overcarbonation happening. Um, but but that is one thing um, Alagash had said. Uh, they gave a presentation about doing some hunting for diastaticus, and uh, I mean, if any anyone who's packaging, you know, should pretty much be keeping some of these packages for QC protocol down the road anyway. But monitoring your alcohol concentration and the CO2 concentration over time is a very good way to just kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's not quick and dirty at all. It's just kind of, you have to wait for, for the actual growth to happen. But um, 
just monitoring CO2 levels in, in your finished pro- package product, making sure those are consistent is a really good way to, to check to see if you actually have something growing. Yeah, that package beer library takes up a lot of space, but it sure is nice to find out about a problem and get ahead of it uh, before you hear about it from a consumer. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Wade Figaro, and I'm the microbiologist at Founders Brewing Company. Well, um, I'd say that it's not something that I routinely come across um, in in breweries that uh, don't have a problem with it. So um, a lot of the... uh, bacteria that can spoil beer they are all over the place in in the brewery um they're um you know they they come in on us and uh whereas diastatic it seems like quite an oddball and i haven't really picked it up in a lot of in a lot of environmental swabbing and air sampling like in um, drains or in barrels on barrels um, in sort of dirty parts where you would traditionally see um, wild bacteria like lactobacillus and pediococcus so um I would um, really take a look at um, cultured yeasts that are coming in, um, things that um, diastaticus may may come in with. So um, be, be sure to screen um, yeast that's coming in or certainly anything that you're putting into the fermentation process um, after your, your boil there, because that, that would be the, um, the most likely uh, way or, or vector for that to get into your system. Diastaticus, you know, rip rip through at least one brewery. Why don't you tell us about your experiences? Sure. Yeah. Well, I can't um, give a whole lot of uh, details about the specifics there, but um, it was uh, something that I saw um, in a strain that we didn't use a whole lot in in the brewery, and um, uh, this this was a strain that had a lot of um, Belgian characteristics and, and flavors, and um, uh, my predecessor at, at this um, certain brewery in the laboratory had had played around with this organism a little bit and um had told me that uh it did grow on some media that uh it you know it it shouldn't and uh that that was normal but it turned out that um you know what we were seeing was diastaticus a spoilage organism and um it tended to increase in magnitude um after generation so you know throughout the process we would uh harvest this yeast and it seemed like it did uh go through some um, concentration um, step ups during props there and um, we did uh, you know this this particular type of beer was um, a little bit higher in carbonation by by nature and um, had some of those Belgian flavors and uh, we didn't really know uh, what was going on until um, that uh, the, the pressure um, in in package did start to go up now how did you find out about it did you did you notice um did you have exploding packages or did you you know did someone report the over carbonation or what happened we started to see it um in our uh shelf storage um samples so we would uh um you know take take uh samples from from every package run basically and uh full store it you know warm and cold um you know warm we always um kept at room temperature certainly um, as, as warm as possible to simulate sort of a, a worst case of what might happen with those packages if they're on a hot uh, semi truck going across the country or if they're um, being stored in a, a supermarket or um, in somebody's attic. And we, we wanted to simulate that. And then, of course, we also had a, a separate cold storage um, 
a lot of, of samples too. So uh, we, we did uh, do periodic checks uh, for carbonation and the alcohol content of, of packages. And we did start to see a little bit of creep there, but not until um, at least a month post package there. As the microbiologist here at, at Founders, it's uh, a challenge for me to um, use the data that I have to um, help um, the higher ups here in the company make action or you know take action if it's needed. And, and one challenge that I, I know that a lot of people are probably dealing with is how to um, you know look at the data. You know, if you may have this spoilage organism, what are you going to do about it? And I think that's sort of the um, the next frontier uh, for us in the brewing industry to um, learn more about what what this organism can do, and then furthermore, what are some of the levels of contamination that um, can cause serious problems? You know, is it just one uh, colony uh, or one CFU of, of this yeast per bottle, or is it uh, 100, 1,000, something like that? So um, we are working on some challenge studies to see see if we can uh, find a good threshold but um you know it's a it's a big challenge uh you know certainly this yeast um is a cousin of normal ale yeast and it's very difficult to um see any sort of difference with with the microscope and the, the tools that i currently have um with micro now um there are some great tools like PCR that I, I use and, and we use that to look at the, the DNA code and, and these samples and we're and we can, you know, clearly see if if the spoiler is there or not. But I know that there are um, a lot of breweries and, and people in, in my role um, throughout throughout the, the craft world that are um, struggling because they don't have those tools. Um, certainly looks the same under the microscope as normal house ale yeast and um, even can behave the same way on, on culture media too. Um, one thing that is very helpful is um, to use some of the wild yeast plates. And one that I like a lot is um, LCSM, Linz Cupric Sulfate. Um, and that is a sort of a light blue auger that has copper sulfate and knocks out um, most Saccharomyces. And, and certainly it should knock out house um, ale and lager yeast strains. Um, and traditionally, it's used to look for non-Saccharomyces wild yeast like Brettanomyces and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I don't quite understand the mechanism, but diastaticus, most of the strains um, can grow. And uh, because they're Saccharomyces, they grow fairly quickly. So if they can be detected in um, as quickly as three days with, with that plating. But um, one thing that I learned uh, earlier this year, maybe late last year, was that there are at least two documented strains of diastaticus that do not grow um, on LCSM when it's prepared um, according to the directions there. So um, it's, a, it's a great tool to use if you don't have PCR, um, but you kind of are flying blind for a couple of those strains out there too. Uh, one of the things that's been most difficult for me is actually identifying yeast at the strain level. The only real definition that we have for these different strains is what's provided in the product details from the different yeast providers. But practically, there's not really many good tools for it. And um, it, does, it does seem like uh, full genome sequencing would be the thing to do, but uh, that's probably still 15 years down the road before it really gets it to be affordable for the general brewers. <laughs> 
Well, I'd like to put in a big old plug for uh, a workshop coming up at the Brewing Summit in August in San Diego, sure thing. which is a, uh, a joint uh, ASBC and MBAA workshop. Uh, so we're running two of these joint workshops, and one of them is all about diastaticus in your brewery. So we're going to get some, uh, some, some of the brightest minds in the business to dissect this topic and talk about what you can do and how you could be more proactive in approaching it. So that should be a pretty good topic, I think. Very good. And that'll be at the Brewing Summit in San Diego. And what's do you know, know the date on that off the top of your head? That's August 12th through 14th. All right. Excellent. 130 years ago, Master Brewers was built on the concept of brewers helping each other out so we could all make the best possible beer. That's still true to this day, and it's where a lot of the camaraderie in this industry originated. Master Brewers' award-winning Ask the Brewmasters is the best place to go for troubleshooting, where you'll find the industry's only discussion forum that's moderated for technical accuracy by a team of experts. See what everyone else is talking about at community.mbaa.com. United, we brew. Did you enjoy today's episode? Would you like us to keep making more? If so, there's a really simple way you can let us know. Subscribe, rate, and review the Master Brewers podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.